Bennett, why don't you come up and pray for us? Uh, Claude is our prayer team leader, uh, and he and Debbie are praying for you guys all week long. So pray for this service, will you, Claude? Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Brent Axons, did we feel good? I have to tell you, I feel pretty good today. I need to tell you why, though. So I'm celebrating with my wife, my young, beautiful wife, uh, her 30th high school class reunion. So I'm at the reunion, and I'm looking at all of these guys. I never felt better about just having a gray beard. You know what I mean? You all don't know what I mean. (laughs) Boy, those guys, pray for them. Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, thank you so much, so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy towards us. You are so wonderful, and we praise you this morning. We ask that you would fill our hearts with grace and love and let your word enter and bring transformation in our lives. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claude. Those young guys didn't have a chance with Claude around. Um, I, I want to start today's sermon with a question for you. And the, and the question is this. Have you ever had the experience of sort of like maybe walking into a house or walking into an environment and whoever is there to greet you looks at you with utter and complete delight? Like you walk in, maybe you walk into your home and your child comes running out and, you know, happy to see you or your spouse, you know, op- opens up his or her arms and is happy to see you or you go see a friend and you haven't seen that friend for a long time and they just have this joy about seeing you. Have you ever experienced that? I'm convinced that that's why people buy dogs because we just like that experience of being appreciated, right? Unequivocally appreciated. In fact, I heard uh, someone say that the difference between dogs and cats is that a dog will look at you and he'll think, you know, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be a god. Whereas a cat will say, you know, you, you, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be a god. And so, and, and, and that's the difference. That's why cats are of the devil and, and dogs are of, of the Lord. And um, man, every time I do something like that, cat lovers, man, I get the emails flowing. I'll do the dogs next time, I promise. Um, so I, I want to start this sermon today. Uh, we're wrapping up this Joyride series. We've been going through Philippians, and it has been amazing. And I strongly encourage you, if you've missed or you ha- haven't been able to make some of these, go back and listen to them on, on, online. But Paul starts this fourth chapter uh, with, with, a, with a, a verse, uh, verse 1, and I love how he addresses the Philippian church. He says, in verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love... And long for my joy and my crown. He's basically figuratively throwing open his arms and saying, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. You guys fill me with love and joy. Remember, Paul had planted this church 10 years earlier, and now he's writing them from Rome. And he's saying, man, you guys are my, my joy. You're my crown. And the the, the word he uses there for crown is not like a king's crown. It's not like a golden crown that you put on your head. It's a crown that's sort of like a wreath 
a laurel wreath that's interwoven, and you get the, these wreaths, you get these crowns if you win a battle or if you win a race. And, and Paul is using that word because he's saying, you guys are like my crowning achievement. You're my trophy. You're my reward. I planted this church 10 years ago, he says, and now you guys just bring me such delight and such joy. And I, I just personally want to echo Paul's sentiments to you, City Family Church. And I want to say, you guys, you can't, we're, not, we're coming up on our three-year anniversary. You cannot know how much joy and happiness this church brings me as the pastor. I just love this congregation. You may not know it, but you guys are a very, very special group of people, and you're serving, and you're loving, and you're transforming our community, and I want to say thank you, and God bless you, and I love you, and you bring me joy, and, and I'm, amen. You are my delight. Um, I'm going to brag on you guys just for a minute. We're coming up to our three-year anniversary um, this year. Our church is on track to give almost somewhere in the neighborhood of $30,000 away to, uh, to church planting, to plant churches, to missionaries around the world, to inner varsity, to, to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to, to help hurting people. $30,000, guys, this year um, because of your generosity, your focus on the mission, your willingness to serve and love and reach out in the community and do what we're called to do. We are called as a church to empower our community with the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. And I find that to be amazing. We went, a, a, a small group of our leaders went up to, or down to, Birmingham um, this week, and we got a picture of us on the way down uh, we didn't get a picture on the way back because we had like baggy eyes and our, our beards were growing out. We were looking beat up from the feet up. But, but, but I want to tell you, um, being down there was an excellent experience. We learned a lot. We grew a lot. But when I came, you know, uh, on my way back, all I could feel was gratitude and excitement to get back to this incredible congregation at Youth City Family Church. You guys have leaders, team leaders that are thinking about you and praying for you. You have trustees that are looking out for the interests of the church. You have elder nominees uh, that are going to be working in the spiritual life of the church. And we have this amazing dream team uh, of people that just devote their time and energy to serving the congregation. Um, almost every one of our members, our U City Family Church members, almost every one of our members is a part of our dream team, meaning that at some point in the month, they will rotate through and serve this congregation. And uh, over, over half of the people who come are, are involved in the dream team here. So I, I just want to say, well done. That's awesome. You guys are amazing. Let's dismiss and go have some noodles. Amen? <laughs> All right. Moving on. Um, so Paul starts this chapter, Philippians 4, by telling them how much joy they bring to him. And then he turns around to them and says, now I want you to be full of joy. In verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, if you haven't been in this series, um, let me just briefly remind you, Paul writes this while chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison, awaiting possible execution, after having been flogged and beaten and whipped and left cold and naked on a dungeon floor, 
and been hunted down by his, his own kinsmen, uh, by being betrayed by his own, you know, false brothers in Christ. Uh, he, had exper- he had been shipwrecked. He had experienced about every imaginable hardship. And yet in the context of that prison cell, he's saying to us, rejoice. Rejoice. Be full of joy. Sixteen times he says rejoice. Eight times he's talking about his joy. Eight times he's talking about your joy. Five times he directly admonishes us to rejoice. And, and, and just by way of summary, you'll know this by now if you've been coming. When he's saying rejoice, he's not just saying be happy. Okay, that's a different thing. Happiness is good, but it's not joy. What's the difference? Happiness is a transient emotional state. That means it comes and then it goes. Joy, on the other hand, is a persistent spiritual condition. That means joy stays with us, it girds us, it fortifies us, even when we're not happy. There's that little baby's got joy right now, even though the baby's not happy. Um, <laughs> you just work things in, man. You just work, work everything in. Um, there's a, a, a great, uh, brilliant philosopher um, and also a, a guy who was uh, very helpful in, in writing and talking about spiritual formation. Some of you may have heard of him. His name's Dallas Willard. He was a longtime professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, um, and he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. This week, I watched an interview with him, and I love what he said in this interview. Um, It's better than what I had said last week, so I left out what I said last week. I'm just going to use what he said. He said, joy is a sense of pervasive well-being because it is consistent with terrible circumstances. In other words, joy and terrible circumstances can go, coexist at the same time, in the same moment, in the same heart. Joy, he says, is a realization of what's really going on in the world at large under God. So what he's saying is, you know, the circumstances that we're experiencing, those are going on. But there's something that's really going on beyond the circumstances or incorporating the circumstances. And when you get to understand and grasp what that is, then you can have joy in even the most dire of circumstances. Even when you're feeling sorrow, even when you're feeling grief, you can have joy. In fact, uh, John Ortberg was the one who was interviewing him for this, for this discussion. And Ortberg said, you know, I've always thought of joy as being like a moment where, you know, you see a beautiful sunset or, you, you know, you see a little child and you feel a sense of joy. And, uh, and, and Dallas Willard says, yeah, that, that, that's fine, but joy doesn't stop there, right? Joy can be there underneath your deepest grief, your deepest sorrow, your deepest pain, so that when you're feeling that sorrow or that grief or that pain, Underneath that, you still are confident that there's a God who's got it under control and that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and do according to his pur- and are called according to his purpose. He loves us and he's working things together for our joy. Um, and so Paul is saying and Dallas Willard is saying and I am saying uh, that our, even though our pain is great, our God is greater. Even though our sorrow may be deep, his spirit is deeper. And even though our disappointment in life may be bitter, our God 
is bigger than that disappointment. And he pervades all circumstances in our life, whether good or bad. Uh, And so Paul is saying to us, I want you to rejoice. I want it to be this pervasive this pervasive situation in your heart where you are continually full of joy. But thank God he doesn't just say that. He gives us some principles and some tools to equip us in order to do that. And so that's what we're going to do today. He, he kind of at the end of this letter packs a ton of stuff in. This, this chapter is absolutely packed. We could spend a couple months in this chapter. But what he's doing in this chapter is he's saying, okay, so let me give you some tools. Let me give you some levers so you can practice this um, joy in your life. Um, so it's, it, what's interesting is that he starts this chapter off by, uh, by taking care of or addressing a dispute that is happening in the church in Philippi. So Believe it or not, even in the very, very beginning, in the very, very early church, there were these disputes. And, and there were these two prominent women in the church um, who we don't know why, but something was going on between them. Um, and so he says in verse uh, 2 and 3, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Suntuke to be of the same mind, he says, in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, he says, and I ask you, my true companion, so now he's talking to a third person, and, and, and commentators are not sure who he's talking to here, but they think it may be this guy named Epaphroditus who was a pastor there and who delivered this letter to the Philippians. So he says, and I, and I am asking you, third party, uh, to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So Paul is immediately tackling a controversy in the church And he's saying, I want you guys to get past this dispute, right, so that you can truly experience the joy of the Lord and that you can focus on the mission of the church and doing what you're called to do. So the first principle that he's talking about is make up and move on. Principle number one for experiencing this deep joy in your life, make up and move on. I saw a documentary. um, I love documentaries, but I saw a documentary about six months ago or so, and the documentary was called Knuckle, okay? And the documentary was exactly what you would think it is. Um, it's a, it, it was a documentary about fighting, okay? But, but the irony is the people that are fighting in this documentary are this Irish tribe of people that left Ireland during the potato famine, and apparently, you know, 50 years ago, one brother in this family— insulted another brother in this family and the two of these two brothers got into it and got into a big fight and for the next five decades their sons are still fighting with each other and so what they do is like every few months one of the sons or one of the grandsons or great-grandsons now or great-great-grandsons will say will send a message over to the other family and say hey by the way you know, we were still mad about what your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather said to our great-great-great-great-grandfather. Let's meet outside of a, of a you know, a, a country road, and let's duke this out, and let's settle this once and for all. And that's what they've been doing for 50 years. In fact, they're, they're, they've got one of the great patriarchs of the family. His name's Big Joe. That's no joke. That's not like tongue-in-cheek. That's, that's one of the guys. How would you like that to be your grandpa? You're like, come on, grandpa. But anyway, you can take him down. Thanks, Michelle. Um, scary. The irony is, of course, they can't even remember what they were fighting about. 
They don't even remember what the original dispute was. They just know that their pride will not let them back down and they're going to keep this thing going generation after generation after generation. And it's humorous, but, the, but it's also sad because churches can be guilty of the same thing. And we see that here with the church in Philippi. There's some beef, some dispute, and neither party will let it go. In fact, I, uh, I did a little bit of um, research this week into church conflict, church disputes. The Barna Research Group, if you're familiar with them, they do really great research, found that only 2% of church disputes, like church you know, uh, splits arise out of doctrinal conflict. 2%. The other 98% have to do with like interpersonal stuff and other random things, right? Like, for example, churches will get in disputes over the color of the church carpet. I mean, they really will. Well, are you going to use blue or are you going to use red? Because if you're using red, we're out of here, okay? Um, uh, there have been disputes over, of course, the style of music is a, is a common church dispute. Um, there was a church that split over the spelling of the word hallelujah. Are you going to use a J or are you going to use a whatever else you would use, a Y? A, I don't know. Um, there, was a, there was a church split over whether the offering was taken before or after the preaching. Like, I mean, this is important stuff. Um, in fact, I had a friend who, who was a pastor of a small church. There was a real big controversy when he decided to take the fake flowers out of the sanctuary. It was like, man, he had just removed a sacred cow, and it was just bad. Um, so Paul is saying to, these, to this church, he's saying, you guys, you got to move on. You know, and I love how he handles this, though. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't degrade them. He doesn't say that they're evil. He doesn't say that they're, you know, no good. In fact, he honors them. He says to, to um, Epaphroditus, he says, remember, these women were in the trenches with me. These women risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. So that's why I want you to help them resolve this issue, right? He treats them with love and respect. So first he addresses the two women and he says, hey, listen, I want you to be of the same mind in the Lord. And what he means by in the Lord is he wa- he's saying, look, has the Lord forgiven you? Then you need to forgive each other. Has the Lord had mercy on you? Then you got to have mercy on each other. Has, ha- has the Lord sacrificed for you? Then sacrifice for each other. And then he turns to Epaphroditus and he says, help them along. Help, help this dispute resolve. And the reason he brings in Epaphroditus is because everybody has blind spots. Everybody has blind spots. We all can see the flaws in somebody else, but it's hard to see the flaws in ourselves. And so Paul is saying, you guys, this conflict, this issue, this controversy, work it out in community. Do it with one another. Bring healing and restoration in community. I heard a preacher say one time that if you want forgiveness, confess to God. If you want healing, confess to someone else so that you can be healed, so that you can work things out, so you can have accountability and partnership in Christ and in the Lord. Um, and, and I want to just take that this moment to use this point to say, you know, that's what our life groups at U City Family Church, that's what we're trying to do. 
We're trying to do the same thing that they were doing in Philippi. Create an environment where you can draw close to somebody. You can get close to other people. You can learn from them. You can grow from them. They can see your blind spots. You can see their blind spots. And you can develop and grow and strengthen your faith in Christ. So I want to encourage you. We're going to have an event August 5th at the U City Library. If you're interested in life groups, come on down to that event. Um, and, and, and if you want to lead a life group, it's actually a lot easier than you might think. All right? Uh, if you like watching football, You can get a group of guys around you, open some scripture, pray together, share with one another, and then watch some football. That's your life group. It's really, really straightforward. If you like to go shopping or if you like running or if you like, you know, knitting or coffee or getting breakfast or hunting or weight training or whatever it is, you can form a life group around that activity. You don't have to change your life to have a life group. Just get some brothers and sisters around you and do this together. Amen? All right. Plug for life groups. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're forgiving each other. We're serving each other. We're praying and we're helping each other. And that's what brings us greater joy. So then he moves on down to verse six. And the second principle he says is do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So principle number two is this. Don't worry. Be thankful. Don't don't worry. Be thankful. We live in a society, in a culture, where anxiety and worry and fear and phobias abound. There's just a lot of stress in life, and people are afraid of stuff. Uh, and, and I did a, a little bit of looking into some, some interesting fears, some interesting phobias this week, and I thought you may in, enjoy some of these, so I'll give you a few. Um, there's uh, palatophobia. This is the fear of bald-headedness. Um, th- that's, a real, that's a real fear. There's arachibutyrophobia. This is the fear of having peanut butter stuck to one's palate. Real fear. It sounds like you have peanut butter stuck to your palate when you try to say that word, but that's a real fear. There's chronometrophobia. That's a fear of clocks. Um, I could get in big trouble with my wife if I said something right there, but I won't. I'm not going to. Um, There's ecclesiophobia. That's the fear of church. This happens to people during the summertime sometimes. Um, There's phobophobia. This is an abnormal fear of phobias. I totally get that one. And then this is my favorite one. It's hippopotamonstrosacipitalophobia. That's the fear of long words. And you know what? That's not even right, man. That's just, somebody's just being cruel, right? They're just trying to scare people. Um, But the truth about fear and anxiety and worry is that it can be totally debilitating and it can totally sap the joy that you have in the Lord. And it's pervasive. Uh, a, a very high percentage of people struggle with worry, fear, anxiety at some point in their life. And this one actually hits home for me. I used to struggle very deeply with anxiety. I don't so much anymore, but I used to. In fact, I remember in the fourth grade, they were handing out these awards. And like one award would be, you know, most popular, uh, nicest hair, prettiest teeth. And I got an award. I opened it up. From my fourth grade teacher, opened it up and it said, Congratulations, you've won the Worry Award. I was like, 
really? I mean, I'm only in fourth grade. I, I worried about that for the next eight years. It was like so not cool. But, but truthfully, when I got older, I, I struggled for a long period of time with anxiety and, and, and worry, worried about the past, worried about the future, worried that I wasn't good enough, worried that I was a failure, worried that, you know, just anxiety. And, and I praise God that, that, you know, through good counsel and prayer and, and coming to him and giving these worries to him and expressing thanksgiving, I, I don't experience that uh, anymore. But, but a lot of folks do. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be full of anxiety. I want you to be full of gratitude. Present your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving. Don't let that anxiety diminish your joy. And then Paul, in fact, actually uses the same word here for worry and anxiety that Jesus used back in in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, he gets with his disciples and he says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. But he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Just focus on what's really, really important. Give your heart, your mind to God. Give your prayers to God. Thank God for what he's given you. In fact, uh, let's try a little experiment this morning. I want to try something with you. If it doesn't work, you know, we'll never do it again. Um, But I want you, I want to experiment with something with you, all right? Together, I want each and every person in your own mind to just think about one thing that you are deeply grateful for. One thing that you're just like, man, I'm really, really grateful for this thing. You got that in your mind? It might be a person, might be a child, might be a spouse, might be a house or a job or whatever. Just get a visual of that one thing in your mind that you're really thankful for. You got it? You got that thing? All right. And now just say, thank you, God. Say, thank you, God. Come on, with enthusiasm. Thank you, God. Right? Is anybody feeling anxiety right now? We don't feel anxiety when we focus in the present moment on things that we're grateful for and we thank God for what he's given us. We just, anxiety and gratitude are incompatible. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have one at the same time as you have the other. And so Paul is saying, you know what? Live out this life of gratitude. Focus on God's goodness. Focus on the great things that God has given you, right? And then he says, focus your mind on the things of God. And look, look where he takes us right after this in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things, he says. You know what's interesting about this is that Paul is directing us to direct our thoughts. In other words, he's saying, do not let your thoughts govern you. You govern your thoughts. Focus on the things that are good and pure and lovely and, 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 and excellent or praiseworthy. Focus on the good. That's what he's saying. If you want to experience joy, don't let your mind drift over to the thing, the one thing that bothers you. It, have you ever been with someone and it's like you're at some amazing thing, you're at a, a cool event or you're doing something, and man, they will find the one thing that's not cool about that. And you walk out and they'll be like, yeah, but did you notice that, uh, you know, it's like, dude, really, that's what you were looking at? 
because their mind, you know, your mind just wants, sometimes your mind just wants to go and then it finds that thing and it's like, I'm going to focus on this negative. Paul's saying, don't do that. Put your mind towards things that are good. Um, I think of our mind sometimes as like a computer that when it goes, when it has a moment to drift or go idle, it goes to a screensaver. You know, and I don't, I mean, I haven't really seen screensavers that much anymore, but people, they used to have a screensaver on your computer, so when it was going to sleep, there would be some image. It'd be like a fish, and little bubbles would be going up or whatever. You know what I mean? And, and if your mind is a computer, what is the screensaver of your mind? Like, does your mind drift to the things of God, or does it drift to the negative? Like, when it's free to drift, where does it go? Um, there's a verse, Romans 12, 2, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So Paul's saying, go, you know, focus on the good. Now, we listen to all this. We hear all of this stuff. And we say, this is great stuff, right? Thank you, Paul. These are, these are good insights. But how am I going to live this out, right? I can get excited about it right now. But how am I going to do this when I leave here on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? How am I going to live this out practically? How am I going to do this? He answers that question in the next verse. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, practice the above. Just practice it. It's not going to come immediately. It's not going to come naturally, but spiritual formation is about the long haul. It's about growing in the Lord. It's about maturing in the Lord little by little, incrementally, over and over and over again. You've heard the, 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 the story about uh, the, the, the tourists that came up to the violinist Misha Elman, and he was coming out of rehearsal out of the back entrance of, of Carnegie Hall, and, and they didn't know who he was, but they saw that he had a, a violin case, and these tourists came up to him, and they said, uh, excuse me, sir, um, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And he said, practice, 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 right? Paul is saying, just tr- do this, practice this. You know, when I take my boys to the YMCA to learn how to swim, they're not diving off the diving board. They're not diving off the, uh, you know, they're not sliding down the slide. They're just basically learning how to get wet at this point, you know. They've got, their, they've got their little life jackets on because we're just doing this little by little. This is a process. Don't beat yourself up on it. We're just working this out together in community. And if you get discouraged and if you think, I just can't do it, I'm trying, I'm practicing, I'm failing, this is where one of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible comes in. And Paul sums up this whole thing in this verse. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's saying, don't rely upon your own strength. Keep coming back to the source. Keep coming back to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you and develop you and grow you in this because you cannot do it on your own. And I want to close with this today. Um, uh, Rebecca, if you want to come up and play. Um, remember I was telling you earlier about that interview with Dallas Willard and, um, what was really compelling about that interview for me is, you know, he's talking about joy 
And he was talking about the fullness of joy and how's he, how he's experiencing this pervasive joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances and, and, and sorrowful and troubling and terrible situations. He's saying all this, and then we learn later that while he was saying this, Dallas Willard was suffering from cancer. Uh, he, his body was weak and frail. He was experiencing incredible pain. And in fact, three months after that interview, that interview was in February of 2013. Uh, and in May of 2013, less than three months actually later, Dallas Willard passed away. And yet he died with this sense of contentment, this sense of peace. And his, his, his last, you know, interview was about this bountiful joy that was in his life. Um, I just found that totally amazing. He, he died with a heart full of contentment and love for Christ. In fact, the people that were gathered around Dallas Willard at the end, and I recommend you go get The Divine Conspiracy or look up his books, and brilliant, brilliant guy, and, and amazing Christian. But the, the friends that were gathered around him at his death, that were at his deathbed, said that the very last thing Dallas Willard did was he took a deep breath, and when he blew it out, he said, thank you. And that was it. He went, he went to be with the Lord. But I think that what he's saying and what Paul is trying to teach us and what we can grow and experience in here as Christians is that we can develop and strengthen and grow this pervasive sense of joy in our hearts when we focus on the things of God when we turn our hearts and our minds and our, and our energies and our strengths to the things of God, because that is what he's calling us to today. I want to experience that. I want my joy to be full. You know, and I'll end with this, I promise. Jesus, um, and, and I told this at the very, very, in the very first joy ser sermon, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, it was a Thursday night. It was Passover. It was the night that he was going to be betrayed. And he knew that he was about to suffer. He knew that he was about to be scourged. He knew that he was about to be crucified. He knew that he was about to be betrayed. He, he knew all this, right? And yet he sits down with his disciples and he says, I want my joy to be in you. And I want your joy to be full and complete. That's what God wants for us. He wants to throw open his arms to you and me and say, I delight in you. You are my joy. You're my crown. Now rejoice in the Lord. Do you want that for your life? I do. And then, and then I think what he wants us to do is to spread that to everyone we meet, to put that out to every person we meet every person that walks through these doors, to greet them with that level of delight, to show them the joy of the Lord that's bountiful in our hearts, and to spread this, change our city, change our nation, change our world. Are you down for that? Amen. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with a deep sense of gratitude and a deep sense of hope and confidence in you. God, we ask that you that you help us, Lord, to develop this joy that you've called us to. We ask that you give us strength when we fail. We ask that you help uh, get other brothers and sisters in Christ around us to encourage us and strengthen us. 
Help us, Lord, to do those things that you've called us to do, to, to lay down our, our dissension and, and, and any sort of um, uh, controversy that we may have with another person, whether it be at work or at our home or in a relationship or at church or wherever it may be, and, and really just focus on the great mission to which you've called us, God. You've called us to pursue you and to pursue other people with your love. And, Father, we just want to do that today. We lift our hearts to you. Lift our minds to you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to take just a few minutes. If